Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney in Newton, Massachusetts, and welcome to Inside Divorce, a podcast series published on the 15th of each month. Each guest is an expert in the field of divorce and has fascinating information to share. I hope you'll listen. Hello, and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, and today I'm sitting with Dr. Todd Gross, who's director of Adam Street Associates and a clinical psychologist with offices in Newton, Massachusetts. Hello, Todd. How are you today? Good, Hindel. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you, too. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, alienation of children, among other things related to divorces. So uh, I know that Todd has a lot of experience in this area. So Todd, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist, as you said, and we've had the practice in Newton since 1981. And we have about 11 therapists is a lot of people. And uh, so in the course of having my own private practice, you deal with a wide range of issues We, because I deal with a lot of different ages. And I tend to work with a lot of children and adolescents as well. So through the years, one of the issues that's really come up a lot has been the one that we're talking about today, alienation, uh, with situations where a parent gets really separated from any contact pretty severely with their children. And I've dealt with both people who are in the position of having um, been cut off by a spouse or an ex-spouse from their children. And also I've worked with children and seen some of the effects on the children. So those are some of the things I'd be glad to talk about with you today and any other things too that you bring up. Yeah, it'd be great to talk about both perspectives, both the alienated parent's perspective and child's perspective. Yes. And and also whether all children are alienated in this situation or just some children, what your experience has been with that. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Where would you like to start? Which perspective? Maybe to tell you a, a little bit. Well, because currently I'm dealing with a couple situations where I'm hearing the perspective of the alienated parent. Let me talk about that one first. As much as I love this profession and what I do and the work with people, one of the most heartbreaking parts and most difficult parts as a therapist is dealing with somebody who is in so much pain and you really feel like they feel so hopeless and cut off. And so in dealing with people who are alienated, their perspective is, first of all, they often are perplexed about why is it why are my kids not talking to me in some it, it isn't true that when someone is alienated they've always had a terrible relationship with their kids sometimes they've been extremely close and so they also experience this cutoff secondly since a lot of the alienation situations come from a pretty acrimonious divorce situation that they've already felt the anger of their spouse And then they feel almost like this is punishment for what they couldn't give their spouse. And sometimes that isn't part of the dynamics of what happens in alienation, that the other parent felt so rejected or hurt by something they did or how they were treated by that parent. They probably bad mouth the parent in front of, of the children, too. Um, and the children got to see all this anger between their parents, which is unsettling. And then when all of a sudden they, they, the kids are starting to say, I don't want to see you. And, and the parent or, or child is saying that. And the parent is sort of supporting that. 
and not trying to to be an adult and say, look, I want you to have the best relationship with your mother or father that you possibly can have, but more like, yes, you shouldn't have anything to do with that person. Um, Then they feel like, okay, so now this is revenge against me. This is, you know, um, they're taking out all their anger about our relationship on the kids. Um, um, you know, now there are many different kinds of situations. I don't want to paint anything with a broad brush. So some, one of the situations is often a bad, a bad marriage all along and with lots of problems and not working on it and, um, a, a kind of contentious divorce. So it can be the dynamic is that, um, you know, I don't, I, I want to punish you for being so, you know, un- insensitive and hurtful to me. Sometimes um, there can be legal posturing going on too, as yeah. I'm sure you're very aware of. Um, has, to do where, with, has to do with money. Often. Yes, has to do with money and also power. You know, I I, I don't I want to feel powerful over this person, or I want to paint them as evil as possible, and they're terrible with their kids, and I want to show that. Sometimes um, there 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 there's a setup of loyalty conflicts for the kids. Because yeah. the parent is saying, you know, you your your father or your mother is such and such and has treated me such and such a way, and um, and it's very important that you not get hooked up with them because um, they're bad for you. They're bad people, or they're bad people. And then if you're a child, especially under eighteen, but any child, you feel this pull, and you know, am I being loyal? I've been disloyal to my the parent I'm with. If I talk to the one that she's trying or he is trying to alienate, yeah, and, and so they're they're pulled. In. That is another part of uh, in doing therapy with the children, which we get we're getting to a little bit too. That is just horrendous. Um, the church, it's like the the metaphor I get is his one arm being pulled this way and one arm being pulled that way by two yeah. parents, and that can only really cause tremendous conflict for the kids. But there's also situations to to round out some of the possibilities with adults is that there's also uh, situations where um, there is actual abuse going on, verbal mm-hmm. or physical or sexual or any, and so the the parent feels like they are protecting their child by keeping them away from that person. I think that's a different category. Okay. The people I'm dealing with that are adults are not people that did any of those kinds of things. They did not. So you're talking about a few, a few of the patients that you're treating right now clinically who are the alienated parent. Yep. And they are not people, if anything, they can tell me numerous stories of how they did went on trips with their kids, how they provided different things, how they supported their kids around different things as they were growing up. And there was close feelings there. Um, one person really had a child that had a lot of learning difficulties and he spent tons of time working with his daughter. She's now a very successful person and moving on into uh, graduate programs in, in, in fields. And that's because this person devoted himself a lot to that child. Now, one of the problems can be if you devote to one child and there's a second child, that that child feels a little bit like I didn't get the same attention. And if that child is close to the other parent, which is the dynamic in this case, that child would totally not talk to this guy anymore. The, the child who was helped by the father maintains 
something of a relationship. As you pointed out before, it doesn't always have to be both children. It could be one. Although uh, if there's an alienating parent, they seem, in my experience, their alienation is so general and broad that it encompasses everyone in the family. You know, all, ch- all children had to have to adhere to the alienating pl- parents' uh, strategy. And you're absolutely right, because even the child who was close, whenever there's an encounter, they don't follow it up. They don't continue. They may have one, and it's usually transactional, like I need money or I need something. It's not an emotional connection like the parent that's alienated would really want, you know. And it, to the alienating parent, it feels take, they feel taken advantage of sometimes because that child may only want money from them or exactly you know, those kinds it, of things and not a relationship. It hurts. And with the alienated parent, you will often see many different attempts to figure out a way to reach those alienated people. On the birthdays, Father's Day and Mother's Day are often difficult days. Um, There's a lot of loneliness and feeling of isolation. I should also mention that one of the factors for the adult is something of a loss of their identity, a sense of identity, because a huge piece of their identity is being a parent. And so they will try sending letters, cards, they'll invite them to do things. And it's heartbreaking. Usually there's no response at all. And they'll write letters. And a lot of times the clients will talk to me, can, can I run this letter by you? And I'll listen. And it's beautifully written, heartfelt. And you're with them and you're rooting. And then next week, what happened? They didn't answer it. Or or in, in one case, they you know they they got a restraining order against the person, and said you know you're 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 invading my space. I don't want you to even be talking to me. So it's 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 unbelievable. So from from the parents' end, it's really really difficult. I'm sorry. It sounds like you have at least a couple of patients who are suffering from this alienation now. One's a father and one's a mother. That's that correct. Right? So I've heard uh-huh. both sides. You know, both uh-huh. different partner. What they come up against. I want, I want to see if I can paint a picture, Hindel, about what that alienation actually is experienced like. So let's say you're, you're, you're a father and you're trying to connect to the daughter that hasn't spoken to you now for quite a while. And you hear that she's been in an accident and you want to find out the details. So you call up the spouse, the ex-spouse, and say, can you at least tell me what happened? Because I haven't heard. And they say, it's up to you to talk to your daughter. And they feel like, but you know, number one, that my daughter refuses to respond. You also know that if you said something to that daughter, it could probably make me at least have some channel to have information about my daughter. Is there no empathy? Do you not even care at all about that I have feelings for my daughter, even though our relationship didn't work? That's the kind of stuff we deal with. You know, you feel this solid will. You also feel uh, very manipulated and sometimes by the kids as well, sometimes to get uh, transactional things, uh, pay my tuition or something like that. But it's like this stone wall that you can't move and you're trying, you have all kinds of tools in your tool bag, you chisel away and it never gets you through the wall. Right. So what's the answer? Patience? Well, I'll tell you, there are people out there that do mediation with in situations like this. Uh, that requires agreement from every all parties, which is not easy to come by. There are therapists that are willing to deal with, you know, 
uh, either one party or there can be several different therapists working together from di with different people in, in the triangle or whatever it is, you know, there in the alienation situation. And so part of the answer, you know, people will say part of the answer is never give up. Well, at some point, sometimes part of the answer is accepting something that's a terrible reality and saying, I can't let this be the definition of me in my whole life. I have to still reach out to friends. I have to still build a life. I need to build positive relationships in my life. And I'll never replace the hole in my heart from my daughter or, or son that doesn't talk to me. But I will build something for myself rather than accept the definition of myself that the whole family is giving me. Yeah, I see. So re redefine yourself. Redefining yourself, doing therapy, sometimes also I was told, and you would know more about this than I perhaps, but that one of the things preventively you can do is if, you, if you're if you in a in a bad marriage and there's a lot of fighting and there tends to be a lot of scapegoating and you're, you're worried there's going to be alienation, in a divorce agreement, you might be able to put a clause in there saying something about alienation. Am I right about that? Well, we do uh, put language in that both parents will foster love, um, you know, with, of the children, but... There is not much remedy to this if one of the parent breaches it. Yes. Because, first of all, you have to prove that the parent did something wrong. You know, they had to say something wrong or prevent yes. the child from seeing the other parent or do something in order for it to be actionable as a contempt. I get case. you. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's really hard to enforce. It's really hard to enforce. But, you know, it's, it's very fact-specific. And you know how, you know, one thing happens and another thing happens. And they, oh, in the case I had recently, for example, the two boys – the father says, this is post-divorce, the father says that the two boys don't want to really see their mother very much. I represent the mother. And the mother is heartbroken. They do see her once or twice a week. So this is not an alienation case per se, like we're discussing, but um, she wants them to see them a lot more. And the father says, well, they don't really want to. The boys are maybe 10 and 12. And that, you know, this is this is very interesting from the psychological point of view that when you get that kind of feedback I want to ask the parent who is holding the kids back, what would happen if you said to them, I still want you to have the best possible relationship you can have with that, the other parent. And if you decide that you want to try seeing them or something like that, I am not going to be angry at you or feel like you're being disloyal to me. You can, if the person deals with it openly with the kids and gives them the permission and asks them at different points, like Father's Day or other things, you know, what are your feelings now about it? Because people change sometimes their feelings over time and, and really tries to parent, if you will, rather than just their own self-interest, which is to keep them alienated in some ways. Yeah. When I see parents co-parenting during a divorce and doing it well, even when they're arguing about money issues or unwrote, you know, other issues that are not parenting issues, I really respect them because it's so hard. They're keeping the kids first and, and making them a priority. And it's a wonderful thing to see that they can compartmentalize those issues. Uh, I second I second that. And when I have those situations with around divorces, and I've had a few really good, very people who even did stuff socially later on, you know, with, when they each had other spouses. Yeah. That's a very rewarding feeling. And it's very adult. And it's very, um, 
It shows a person that's capable of empathy. It's a person that can accept certain things. A per- person who can put their children's interests first in yeah. terms of situations like this. Um, and, you know, when I look at the effects of this alienation, I've seen it kind of splits the family. It creates loyalty conflicts, as I said. Um, um, I also hear the deep pain of the alienated parent. It also involves a lot of lies and manipulation and cruelty in, in the mix. Um, you know, and and also there's another thing that I think I want to mention from my perspective of working in situations like this is it's so important as a parent to think about what you're modeling to your kids. And what this models is, um, you know, um, problems, we'll avoid discussing problems. We'll just cut off a relationship. We, what, what, when you have problems, sometimes you just cut them off and you don't discuss it or try to work on it. And I rather the parent, rather than cutting off the contact with the kid, have a discussion with the child about the problem. Say, I'll talk with your father about or mother about that. Because we, we, we want you to know that it's important to keep working on problems. And that's the almost polar opposite of the alienation situation. Mm-hmm. You never hear that. You just don't. Yeah. I've tried. Yeah. I've tried. I've even role played with, with the, the um, alienated parent ways to try to talk to the, agree, the parent who set up the alienation. And they are hit with a way that the other parent has internally developed uh, a, uh, a whole narrative of what, what happened that doesn't change. And they fit when the person tries to reach the other parent and have a, a decent conversation with them. the person says, no, you, you know, you did this to your kid or, you know, this is your fault and, and they don't want to talk to you. So I'm not going to do anything. It's not just me. It's they, them too. And it's, it, it's, you know, and it's, there's a real danger to the alienated parent of besides the incredible depression there can be really suicidal feelings that come up around this too. This is one of those situations where your heart is ripped out of you. That's the, it's the best way I can say it. Really hard to resolve those feelings of, yeah. um, of being disenfranchised essentially from the, the right to be with your children. Yep. It doesn't matter. The kids can be young too. Uh, you know, this can happen with young children. That's I mean, right. Really because they're manipulatable when they're so young and a parent has a lot more control over them. Yeah. Kids get older; it's a little bit harder. That's right. Yeah, uh, the kids in the situations that I have been ex- experienced, the kids have become they have they have bought a certain narrative, and sometimes it feels a little bit like a cult, like the way you know there's persuasion going on and there's a narrative being sold, and when when the kids buy it, then they internalize it. And the parent can say, well, you see, they think that anyway. It's not just me. But right. if they've been encouraged to, to follow a certain narrative and it allows an absence of empathy in the children, that's going to be a real problem as they have become adult relationships too. Um, it allows them to feel like you don't necessarily need to listen and work out and try to talk problems out and figure out solutions around difficult issues. Um, and I've seen a lot of cruelty from the children and a lot of um, rejection, harsh words, um, assumptions made, also um, 
a lot of manipulation, a lot of lying. Um, when when a restraining order is 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 given and it's based on a large number of lies that never happened, and they do it before a judge. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's pretty far for a kid, an adult kid, to go too. That is very far. But the, how long had that alienation been going on? You think this is an adult child that doesn't want to see? Their yeah, that mother? that that child's in mid. In, I think mid to late twenties. And um, it started um, late teens. And, you know, the other thing is it's easy looking backwards to see how an alienation situation is building up. You can see certain key events that happened in the divorce process. One of the, the alienating parent comes up with a narrative of what happened. And then I listen to the other parent who's the victim in this and they'll say, that isn't, that really didn't go that way. That isn't what happened. Here's what happened. And then they try to tell their kids that and the kids are already have bought, you know, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, I was talking to another divorce attorney about alienation and what their, that, that lawyer and that law firm strategy is to combat it. And he said, address it really early in the divorce. Because then they, which kind of goes to the point you just made. Because if you see it happening, the narrative just keeps building on itself. If you, if you can, if an, the attorneys can intervene or the the alienated parent can intervene early on, not not necessarily. I don't know what they do necessarily because you obviously have a different narrative. So they have to at least be able to say their narrative, and maybe court intervention will be needed in order for to make sure the kids go to both homes. That's a good point. And, and I would give you, I would add the complimentary piece from the therapist's point of view. If you're working and you're seeing that a divorce is about to happen in a family, you want to talk to them a little bit about, can they each own a certain part of what the problem is in the relationship so that they don't make it that they need a scapegoat as the, it's, it's the problem is all the other person. And it's interesting because Sometimes if I'm working with a person that is starting a dating relationship and it's a person that's divorced, I always say when they start talking about the divorce, ask them what they learned about that from that divorce. If they say, I learned that it's all the other person's fault, then watch out. Mm -hmm. If your date says, well, we each had some problems and I've had to work on such and such and that person had that issue. Um, and so I don't want to repeat that in the next relationship. So I'm self-reflective and I try to figure it out. That's the person that you really want to date. The person who just says, I need somebody to blame. And so it's all his or her fault. And that's part of this alienation thing. And if you see it starting early, then if you have the people in therapy, you might say, you know, so far you've put all this on your spouse. Can you see any part that you're having to deal with, you know, that, that you might look at and, and what you might contribute to it. Yeah. That immediately you get a sense of, is the person capable of some self-reflection? Could they have some empathy that, well, could you understand that that person might've felt such and such a way, your partner, when you did such and such, if you can get inroads on that, then they're already starting with perspective taking and a chance of maybe doing self-reflection about it. But the, in every case that I have worked with, the person who has done the alienation does zero self-reflection. That's what the stone wall is I'm talking about. I'm used to working with people. They come to therapy and mo almost all of them try to do self-reflection. And certainly the people who are alienated that I've worked with have all said, I know maybe such and such that I did 
probably I should have listened better. I should have. They do the self-reflection. And the absence of the self-reflection is on the person who feels like I must create this wall because I'm not going to look at myself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that, that's this particular kind of person. I'm not going to um, try to put a label on them, a psychological label on it, but it's this particular kind of person that's not very self-reflective. So how do we, how do you address a person like that? How do you work with a person? How do you stay married <laughs> to a person like that? Well, uh, what, what I want to say honestly is I don't think we're very successful with people that really are that closed. I have seen situations where there can be a breakthrough in, in a, even with a person like that. But yeah. it's, but mostly um, when the, when the, when the uh, parent that is alienated says to me, what can I do? What can I do? You know? And it, I, I can't just let this go. It's, it's too upsetting to me. I can't, you know, I, I mostly I'm sympathetic and understanding and saying, we don't have any great answers for this. We still don't. Um, and, and in terms of dealing with the person, Sometimes if you appeal to their self-interest in some way and it is in their own self-interest to do something a little different than what they've done and they try it and you're a support for them and you're not judgmental about what they've done. So they trust you enough to to maybe try a little something. Um, Then you can say things to them like, you know, you're starting off in a new direction. And I often talk to people about um, when they think about themselves making a change, use words in your own head that end in ING, because ING means it's a process. So I'm starting to look at my spouse a little differently or my or the children's father or mother a little differently. Or yes, I'm letting my kids do such and such, or I'm starting to tell my kids another side of the story or yeah. another way to look at things that yeah. might help bring us better together again. Yeah. It can happen, Handel. It's it's it, it's a very difficult thing to crack that. It is really, because if you think about it, you have to have, you have to shut off any openness. You have to feel, you have to build a wall around yourself of defense against feeling certain things if you're the parent that does the alienating. So they have, because, because there are definitely things that the other parent has to offer that you have to shut out and say, nope, nope, that doesn't they matter. They can't contribute, contribute anything, right? That's they're right. worthless. And, it's, and, it, and, and they have to be able to rationalize that they're doing the good for their kids when in yeah. fact they're not. Yeah. They're really not. Unless it's a case where it's, you know, severe kind of bad abuse or something. I've always put that as a different category. You know, Massachusetts used to require divorcing parents to take a parenting course. Just last month, in July of 2021, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts determined that that's no longer required. That's a shame. It is a shame in in some ways. Um, There must have been a reason. I mean, alienation still happens despite the parenting courses. And bad parenting still happens despite it. So some people aren't learning. But it's almost like an exit interview. It would be a chance to at least talk with them about how they want to deal with their kids around the fact that they're not together if, if, if that's the decision. You know, sometimes, it, sometimes it, you know, people will then look at, you know, um, you know is, there, is there any other alternative to the divorce? You know, is, does that come out of a discussion? But if it doesn't, you could still do something that's preventive uh, at that point to sort of talk about how are you going to deal with, you know, the fact that you're, you're not together and your kids are going to be having different feelings about each parent. How do you want to deal with 
um, giving them access to both of you? Well, an industry has developed within the family law world of, um, you know, clinical people, psychologists and otherwise um, to service this the parenting, these parenting issues. One person is called a parenting coordinator. I guess it's a category of person. Yes. Person who, sometimes it's attorneys, sometimes it's clinical people who serve in that role. Um, they also, I, the case I mentioned before with the two boys, they're seeing someone who's trying to put together a parenting plan for them, who's a PhD psycho- clinical psychologist by interviewing the parents only and not, not the children. Uh-huh. And, and also parenting coordinators don't often visit the children. So it's really has to be something the parents agree to. And the, the children are given very little voice in this, which I think is okay, depending on the age of the kids, I guess. That's interesting. Though. I like that idea. Well, you know, they are parents. They should have some rights to make decisions about how to how to raise their kids. But obviously, they're, you know, one reason they're divorced is they don't agree to the things. Yeah, that's true. Even their parent, the decisions about what's good parenting and right. how they were raised themselves may have been so different from each other that yeah. they have very different values around parenting. That's yeah. that's part of the preventive stuff when you talk about are we suitable are we a good match or not? You know, how do our values stack up in terms yeah. of, and can we live with the differences between our values too? Well, there's a lot of pride in it. I mean, parents feel like they, you know, the people who are parents feel like they know their way to parent. Everybody has a particular style and preference and priorities and, you know, the what based on it partly, I suppose, how they all, they grew up themselves. But um, what I look is- for, yeah, what I look for, I think, is people who are willing to say, I'm going to learn something from this person. I'm going to learn about myself as a person and as a parent from my partner, and they will hopefully learn from me and we'll take the best of what we both have and see what we can do. Well, that's a very good springboard question. I mean, even if the alienated parent were given the opportunity to speak to the alienating parent and could say, I I respect that you have your own way to parent. Um, maybe I can, maybe you can teach me how to do it so that children will spend time with me too. I, I'm always a believer of it's always worth a try, you know? It's hard to say. Those are hard, hard words probably to say to the person. I mean, you have to, you have to listen to the person's pain who's alienated. You have to, um, hear some of their impulses of the different things they want to do and help them figure out what feels the safest, but best chance and then how do they want to present it and given who their partner is what are some of the ways of presenting it like you just gave an example of um that that will be more effective yeah yeah it's a it's a tough issue but um you know we all hope that children grow up as productive members of society as i like to say yes (laughs) right yes well balanced stable confident Yes, absolutely. That is that's that's the the goal. And working around the alienation and divorce issues is a huge challenge to try to help everybody still come out a whole. But it can be. But I've you know, I've certainly seen enough situations where um, the kids even end up saying later on, you know, it's a good thing my parents did get divorced. I can see it now as an adult. Yeah, I may not have felt it always because. You know, it was a lot of difficulty for me in my life because of, you know, how that happened. But then they realize, you know, yeah, I can see why they had to. Let's talk briefly about uh, that topic from a different angle, which is I'm sure you have had uh, patients who are thinking about getting divorced. Do you help them work through whether they should get a divorce? I've had that 
I've done that sometimes. Yes. Um, and it's, it's a lot of questions. I mean, one of the biggest ones right from the, from the beginning is what have you tried to do so far? Because if you're going to make suggestions, you don't want to repeat things that they say we tried and it didn't work. So I, I, I want to find out, have they tried therapy? Have they tried, um, what have they tried? What happens when they try to work out their differences? Um, if they had to say one or two things that would really change their mind about divorce, what would that be? Mm-hmm. And mm, see if they have, yeah. And maybe they'll say, no, it's too late. Or maybe they'll say, um, I can't think of anything really. It's just too intense. You know, I can't yeah. too, too set in ways. Um, what if they said something like, if, um, um, if he would only, you know, respond when I say, I, you know, I need this. If, if he re- would respond to the request for whatever it is she needs, if he would respond, how do you, how do you respond to that? With I would do two things. I would start with the person who said that and say, I'm going to ask your spouse to respond to that in a minute, but I want to ask you if that question were asked of you, if that was said to you, what would, what you, what would your response be? Oh, good. Reverse it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and let the other, and, and let them know that I appreciate and respect the fact that they're both listening to each other because you want to, you also want to support the process of starting to be better listeners instead of thinking about the next thing you're going to argue about, really listen to what the feelings of the other person are and even try to put yourself in the other person's place a little bit. And, you know, how much do they do this? Um, how much do they think that their partners have a, might have a capacity to change? How much have they given up on that? How much, there's another issue too. Um, Sometimes when you ask, what do you think are the reasons that the divorce are occurring? One of them will be, I think we've really grown in different directions. Not Uh that this is a bad person, but we're realizing that there's so many ways we're not compatible and what our goals are and our directions are are different. We still respect each other, but it's just not working. That's yeah. it. That would lead to a different discussion than if they, they say, well, if this person would just stop doing such and such or would only do this, those are things that I would also, back to your original comment, I would want to ask the other person to say, you just heard that person say that they wish you would, when, when you know, they had some needs that you would just really listen and respond. What, yeah. What's your feeling about that when you hear that? And see what their perspective is and see if I could get the two of the people talking about, you know, where do they get stuck? What are the things that they get stuck on and what have they tried? And do they still feel like there's any hope that if they had a few sessions to try to talk about some of the things they get stuck on, um, could, could a new process get started? And also um, the effect on their kids and the timing of yeah. when they divorce is also going to be talked about, you know, um, what they're going to tell their kids. That's, that's one of the things uh, it's very difficult, but sometimes I've had sessions with how do you want to talk to your kids about what's happening? And there we go. That's connected to alienation right there too, preventively. Are, how are they going to present it as if you, it's because your father's doing such and such or your mother's doing this or that, or are they going to come up with a language that allows their children to love, and, and continue to feel loved, are they going to reassure their children that it's not because of the children? Because children, younger children will really feel it's their fault. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How they talk about why they're not going to be together um, is really important. And I think 
a couple sessions to deal with uh, why are you divorcing, then how do you want to present that to the kids could be very helpful. I agree. Some parents don't present well, and some parents are actually very thoughtful about doing it together. That's right. But, but it does set a tone for the, what happens next. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's so many things for us to talk about, but I think we've had enough for today. I enjoyed Hi. it Thank very you. much. I'm always a pleasure to talk with you, too. Thank you. Can you give our listeners a way to contact you if they would like more information? Sure. Um, you could, let's see, You uh, our address of the office is at 50 Adams Street in Newton. Uh, and it's uh, 617-965-4090 is our office number. Um, I also had one other thing I wanted to mention just sure. for people who are listening that are in a situation or afraid that they may be for parental alienation. I found a couple books that might be good to read just for resources. Just tell us. Them, let me see if I can. Uh, one of them is Surviving Parental Alienation by Amy Baker. And that's a really interesting book. It got very, very good reviews and has a lot of specific things that we talked about today in it, how it develops and, and what people, what kind of things people try. There's also a book called The Handbook on Surviving Parental Alienation, Coping with Parental Alienation by Terry Lynn Bradshaw. And that's another really good book. Those are two that I wanted to recommend. Good. Thanks for that resource. You bet. You bet. People listening will, will, will take a look. All right, Todd, thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your summer. I'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you. You're right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sassoon Simrod has attorneys who meet your dynamic needs handling legal matters including tax issues, real estate transactions, business law, and, of course, divorce and post-divorce matters. I can be reached to the same number, 617-969-0069, but my email address has changed. It's now hgrossman at sassoonsimrod.com. Sassoon Simrod is spelled S-A-S-S-O-O-N-C-Y-M-R-O-T. Thanks for listening.